Good evening, Trinity Reformed Church. It is good to be with you. I know uh, you can't see me right now. I wasn't planning on doing a study this uh, tonight, but because of the circumstances, because Brian is ill, and which, by the way, the Hodge family thanks everyone uh, for their for your prayers. Continue praying for them. Continue praying that God would give them strength. Uh, I know with with a man down in the family, it can be very difficult to to run a household. And so we just ask uh, that you pray for that. Pray for the doctors that are that are treating Brian, that they may find the cause of, of what's going on, that he may find relief, and more importantly, that he would be able to be among us uh, in person more often. Uh, so because of that, I uh, brought together a study uh, that I thought would would be helpful. It's not a canon study. Some of you might be uh, excited about that. <laughs> I know some of those canon studies were kind of arduous, but uh, hopefully they, they were good. Tonight, I wanted to go over just some things I've been studying in seminary. I think that's probably going to be more of the avenue I take with anything that I cover. It's just it'll be easier to align what I'm learning, obviously, in seminary with, uh, with, and share that with the body think that would be a good mashup i'll probably do things that are different than what's going on in my studies but i just think that would it would wouldn't add a huge workload uh for me which which would be good so so this evening we're going to look at the gospel of john uh, and we're going to look at specifically john 1 john 1 verse 1 and we're going to get into some grammar we're going to get into some Greek. So if you if you have it, if you have a Greek New Testament or you have a Greek, uh, uh, something on your phone, if you can find a Greek New Testament, uh, I encourage you to open that. Obviously, if you your English translation as well, we're going to be looking at both. Uh, and we're going to look at the perspicuity of Scripture and in the language that, uh, the original language that it was written in. And how it's clear and what it's communicating about who the Son is, who the Word is, uh, and what it says about the Trinity, and what others say John 1, 1 says about the Trinity. So that's what we're going to cover tonight, and hopefully, I don't think this will be very long. Uh, like I said, it, it, uh, it's not something I've been planning all week, so I don't have an exhaustive uh, manuscript or anything, so... Before we start, let's open in a word of prayer. My Father, thank you for allowing us to gather in this way, even online, even as we prepare to talk about this study on Jitsi afterwards, that we have the avenue to look into your word in this way and to reach uh, people beyond our church even, outside of the confines of, of Las Vegas, and Father, I pray that uh, you make this study edifying, that uh, you, uh, I ask for your spirit to, to speak truth uh, as we look into John 1.1. 1, 1. I ask for clarity in speech and, and concept 
that this be edifying to your people, that it would disciple them. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's begin by reading John 1.1. This is the ESV that I'm reading out of. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in that verse, we're going to look at uh, a particular portion of that verse specifically in the study. And it's going to be uh, the phrase, and the Word was God. And we're going to focus on that portion of the verse because when we look at any contrary claims to Orthodox Christianity, any, anything that goes against the Trinity, most of the time it's going to be that portion of John 1.1 that will be changed. And they're going to change the grammar. Um, and if they're going to do that, if they're going to change the grammar, uh, then it's going to be important to actually look at what the grammar is doing and some hermeneutical principles of, of, of looking at the text and uh, being able to exegete and say what the text is actually saying. Say what the author's intent is in John 1.1. 1, 1. So having said that, real quickly... And I, I don't mean to insult anyone's intelligence. I know we have some very gifted writers in our congregation that have a full, comprehensive understanding of, of grammar, especially, especially basic grammar. But it's always good to, ref, to refresh a little bit. And I'm not going to – this is going to be a few basic principles that everyone has heard before, but it will be important when we're looking at the uh, John 1.1. Uh, in English, specifically, we have uh, three uh, three cases uh, in a, that we look at in a sentence: uh, a subjective case, a possessive case, and and the objective case. Now, we can have those. Uh, the subjective case can function as as the subject. The possessive case functions as a, as a possession, and the objective case acts as the direct object. So, the subject will be. Uh, in English, the subject will always, will usually be before the verb, and it's the, the the individual that is acting. The direct object is usually the one that's receiving the action of the verb from the subject, uh, and that's roughly the breakdown of a, a a simple English sentence. In Greek, we have cases that identify the function of different words in the sentence. And those different cases are the nominative, uh, genitive, dative, and accusative cases. There is a vocative case that's not used very, very frequently. But those cases identify the function of the words in the sentence. They identify what is the subject. <clears throat> they identify the direct object, the indirect object, and, of course, they identify uh, possession. Now, what's particularly interesting about John 1.1 is uh, we have the rules of cases in the Greek in John 1.1. So Greek is unique to English, where in English we identify cases uh, usually by word order. For example, I said 
that the subject precedes the verb in most cases. Uh, so that's how we would identify in a sentence who the subject is. And of course, we would identify where the verb is and then who's acting on the direct object. And then, of course, who peripherally is being, uh, is being acted on as the indirect object or something like that. In Greek, however, word order does not matter at all. It doesn't matter which order you put the words in. What identifies the case in, in Greek is the, the ending of a word. And what I mean by that is in Greek, you have the stem and the case ending. So the stem in Greek would be the actual meaning of the word. So look at logos. The stem of logos is logo, which just means word. The case ending, the omicron sigma, which makes logos, identifies that it's a nominative, which would show that it is then acting as the subject of the sentence. Um, in John 1.1, 1, 1, however, what we see is uh, we see a predicate nominative. Now, I just kind of defined a little bit what a nominative was. A nominative in Greek is a function as the subject of the sentence. Uh, and then, of course, a predicate is everything that's after the subject, the verb, the direct object, the indirect object. Now, if you have a predicate nominative, you have a noun that takes a verb which equates the subject with something else. Uh, with an, then you're going to have another noun. And in this case, it means you're going to have two nouns with nominative case endings. So then the question becomes, which is the subject and which is the predicate nominative? For example, theos and logos. Both have OS at the end, or om I say OS, but Omicron Sigma at the end, identifying uh, that it is uh, a nominative case. So the question is then, how would we identify what the subject is? Uh, now, in, in Greek, I, meant, I said that word order doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as far as uh, being able to distinguish cases and functions. But there was a an objective in the writer putting words first or uh, first in the sentence and last in the sentence. And that's usually to, to emphasize. So words that came at the beginning of a sentence were usually to emphasize the importance of something uh, or to distinguish something. And, and that is certainly happening in, in John 1, 1. Now, real quickly, I'm going to read John 1.1 1, 1 in the Greek. And I'll read the whole thing, and then I'll emphasize the portion that we're looking at uh, tonight. So you can read with me John 1.1. Uh, 1, 1. NRK, Hain Ha Lagos, Kai Ha Lagos, Hain Pros Tan Theon, Kai Theos, Hain Ha Lagos. Now the portion that we're going to look at tonight is the Kai Theos Hain Ha Lagos. And if you're following along in your Greek New Testament, you'll see a you should see a comma right of uh, preceding Kai Kai Theos, uh, and you'll say you'll see Theon. You see an Omicron new, and that's signifying that 
it's functioning as the accusative case, which is the direct object. And then you see chi the os, the os, omicron sigma, showing that God is functioning as the nominative case. And then you'll see hain ha lagas. Lagas, again, has the omicron sigma, showing that it's functioning as the nominative case. Okay, well, now the question is, which of those two nominative cases is acting as the subject and which one is acting as the predicate nominative? And that's going to be huge. Why? Because the subject is going to equate itself with something else. So a predicate nominative is taking a verb like is, right? So a vegetable or a a tomato is a vegetable. The verb is is equating tomato with vegetable. Uh, We can even say the tomato is the same essence as vegetable or something like that. So that's the importance of identifying what is the nominative case in this part of the verse and what is the predicate nominative because it's going to it's going to show which is the, of the same essence which the terminology already you might already start seeing some trinitarian terminology happening right here now if you're still following along in your in the greek new testament you'll see a omicron aha before lagos so kai theos hain ha Lagos. That ha there is a definite article. It is the. So Kai is and, and God was the word. So if there's a definite article in front of the nominative case, then we know that ha lagos is the subject. So now the question is, why would... Theos, why would God come before the subject? Why would the predicate nominative come before the subject? The word is the subject. Theos is the predicate nominative. I said before that in Greek, word order in identifying case and function has no bearing, but it is to emphasize. So what is John emphasizing? And along with that, why doesn't Theos have a article in front of it? Well, Theos is before the predicate nominative is before the subject because it's showing the essence of the two being the same. It's Theos is in front of Halagos to show the essence being the same between God and the Word. So John's word order is actually telling us that Jesus Christ has all the divine attributes that the Father has. The lack of the article in front of theos, that simple that simple lack of the article, that some may say, well, this is just language, uh, coincidental language. John wasn't that educated. You know, he didn't write very well. Uh, they totally reject that the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this. So the words that the Holy Spirit is going to use to define the Trinity, the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is going to be specific, and it's going to be clear. This is, this is not ambiguous. Uh, just because most of us, and this is just in our generation, most of us are, are not bilingual, right? We only know 
one language. We don't. Uh, we, we can only function in the, the confines of what we know about our language. Uh, doesn't mean that those that are bilingual or are fluent in, in Greek and are, do know the grammar that uh, that this is some mystery that John has written here. This is not mysterious. It it functions clearly in the confines that Koine Greek uh, operates. So the fact that there is no definite article in front of theos is, is saying that Jesus is of the same essence as the Father, but the article in front of logos, ha-logos, is saying that Jesus is not the Father. Now, how could have John written this differently to show, like other heretical views would say, uh, we'll say we'll, we'll take the heretical view of modalism first or Sabellianism first. Uh, if John had used different grammar and and one one, how would how would it have turned out differently? Well, let's let's take let's take this sentence structure: uh, Kai ha lagos and the word hain ha theos, and the word was the God. That's how that would be translated in English. And the word was the God. That that would that would show some kind of modalistic uh, persona here, uh, i.e. the the Father and the Son. The Son is a mode uh, uh, of the Father, or something like that. That word, that word order, that article, that definite article in, in front of Theos would indicate that that idea. Okay. Well, John doesn't do that. Okay. So that. We can we can put that to the side, and as a and and as a side note to the side, the those that were at the Council of Nicaea when they're going when they're discussing the nature of Christ and who, how he relates to the Father, uh, this is this is the this is what they're doing. This is what they're discussing. Discussing. They're looking at the Greek. They're looking at the grammar, and they're looking at the perspicuity of what John wrote. The clearness, it is absolutely clear what John is getting across here by the word order themselves and putting theos without the article and then having the article with logos at the end of that statement. Now let's look, let's look at a different sentence structure that would change the meaning, right? So, Kai ha lagas hain theos, and the word was a god. So, and the word was a god. Now, that would be an indefinite article. Of course, a definite article is showing uh, a, a specific, uh, something specific, like the man is a specific man. A man could be any or multiple plurality, you're not really sure. It's an indefinite article. Um, Greek doesn't use indefinite articles. One uh, and and as I read that, right? As I read, and the word was a god. Does that does that ring a bell of any heretical uh, cult that promotes that? Well, that, yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, in their New Living Translation. Let me just pull it up. Uh, here's here's how they. Here's their English translation. In the beginning, the word was and 
the word with God, and the word was a God. They smack an indefinite article in there. Why? None of, the, none of the Greek manuscripts, none of them do that. Well, that's, that's actually uh, that's what first-year Greek students do when they think they know a language, uh, which is a danger for any Greek student that's learning, including myself. Uh, we have to fall back on those that are uh, masters in the language, that are believers, masters in the language, and, and the tradition of, of the church, of what we've seen, uh, how, the, how the church take, takes these things. Uh, but, yeah, the point is they smack a, an indefinite article in, in there when uh, there's purposely the, the sentence is structured in a way that uh, is the meaning is not ambiguous in any way. And this is helpful too when we're if we're talking to anyone that rejects the Trinity, especially when they're going to use the argument uh, that Scripture never uses the term Trinity in its entirety. So why would we somehow come up with a doctrine of 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit, Spirit is not the Father, Spirit is not the Son. <clears throat> One being of God, three distinct persons. Well, can you imagine if if Scripture actually did use the term Trinity, whatever whatever Greek term that would be, if it just if it just described the doctrine with a term, without without showing us any type of function, and I don't even just mean between the persons, but I even mean between the persons and the creature. So we hear all the time that the apostles were experiential Trinitarians, right? They experienced uh, the, the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the ministry of Christ himself, right? And then we have John here who's describing who Christ is in relation to the being of God and then the person of, uh, of Christ in relation to the Father. So they do something even better than just giving us the word, oh, God exists as a trinity, or there's the relationship of God is Trinitarian. Uh, okay, what does that mean? How does that look? And, and that's not to say, I'm not saying well, then we can easily define it, and it's something that is conceptual. It's out of it's something that we can't conceptualize. We make the point all the time that if if you hear a uh, if you hear an analogy of the Trinity, you're probably hearing heresy because it's just not something that is it's it's a paradox, right? And it's not something that we can easily define, uh, except for the way that the Holy Spirit has defined the relationship and the doctrine of the Trinity in Scripture. And it, it does a fan, this, is, this goes without saying, but it does a fantastic job. John 1.1 1, 1 does a fantastic job. And not only that, but John 1.1 1, 1 lays a foundation for which we should read the entire gospel of John. John says, this is who the word is. This is who Christ is. This is who enters in. This is, this is who uh, enters into his own creation in the incarnation. And this is how we make sense of what Christ is doing in his ministry. 
This is how we make sense of John 18. This is how we make sense of when Pilate asks Christ, what is truth? John describes the foundation of truth in John 1, 1, and, and, and the, well, the whole prologue, really. So we get a functional, a, a beautiful functional look into the Trinity that we can define then with terms that we will see in, uh, in councils when they're, when, they're, when they're debating heresies, when they're defining these terms. They don't use philosophical terms and then put them on Scripture. Scripture gives us the doctrines, gives us the relationship, and then all we have to do, when I say all, it sounds really easy, but all, all we have to do is, is now just guardrail our language so that we don't go off on either end when, when we're describing who God is as revealed in Scripture. So that's it. Uh, I just wanted to uh, I just wanted to talk about John one one. Uh, you guys might have heard this before. There are much better uh, teachers than myself that will go over this uh, uh, probably uh, much better. But maybe if you hadn't heard this before, this would this would uh, influence you to maybe look into it, look into this from from other uh, faithful men, faithful apologists that that. Uh, that are discussing these things. Um, well, let's uh, let's end in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for allowing us to discuss these things. Uh, I hope that in this brief look at uh, the Gospel of John, that your character has been handled and and promulgated to glorify you, and to have a better understanding of who you are of the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the economy of, of the Trinity and how you act redemptively in creation, in your, the will of the Father, the action of the Son, and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And these, these when understood, uh, deepens our relationship with you. And we can continue. This is just a starting point. We can, our, this, this understanding of who you are continues our entire lives as we're sanctified by your word, by gathering with the saints, and by relating and having relationships with other believers. Father, again, I just pray for our pastor, Brian, and his health, uh, that he would be healed and that he would uh, be able to come among us uh, again. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. May God bless you from Zion. May God bless you from Zion. And may you see your children's children. Peace.